Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Grow You podcast. Grow You is a podcast based out of Woodlands Church in Plover, Wisconsin. Our hope is to help you better engage issues going on in our culture with the truth of the Bible. If you have thoughts or questions, we invite you to continue the conversation online at the Grow You Facebook page. Come like the page and leave a comment. We hope you enjoy today's episode with your hosts, Matt and Nate. Thanks for listening. Kind of a meta type of an episode in a way, but our goal today is to talk about the art of conversation. You're so meta, and uh, I think that our like our hope is that we can actually spur on further conversation on different topics and help people engage with the people that they are friends with or rub shoulders with in class or whatever it is. And so today we want to talk about what does it look like to be wise and uh, handle conversation well. Totally, not suck at it. It's pretty, uh, pretty hotbed political climate to actually engage in in any conversation. Ironically, about conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's it, a weird thing. I feel like it's one of those things that somebody's going to get angry about. I mean, we could just say something right now about having having a conversation, and they'll be mad at us. And the irony is, we're trying to have a good conversation. <laughs> <No. laughs> oh, that's brilliant. so true. It is brilliant. So. Art of conversation. Yeah, I think uh, just kind of, I don't know if we'll actually follow this kind of lineup of topics, but hoping to talk about some examples of things that make good conversation, maybe touch on how social media plays into our ability to relate with people Hmm. and how to engage well in those kinds of things, Um, because that's a big part of our world now. But Totally. It's amazing. It's amazing to me to see the number of people who are truly not listening at all to one another. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Like the, uh, I think there's such a, there's such a hyper individualism at times that like, I mean, if you want to talk meta, let's do that. It's like the, the postmodern era is almost like behind us a little bit hmm. into like a post postmodern era where now people like the authority is the individual and only the individual. Can you define the postmodern era? Uh, yeah, it's like a, so obviously before postmodern was modern and so <laughs> the, the modern area, the modern area, modern era, um, was one in which, I mean, you're talking like early, like before medieval times. Um, so like before a thousand AD, right? Like into from that time frame up to, um, really like. 2000 year year 2000 oh okay long time <clears throat> a long time the modern era is maybe long. actually probably not that that long i'm dumb modern i'm dumb that's the pre-modern era the modern era is french revolution onward so okay so it was like thousand thousand ad a little before that to like french revolution was like a pre-modern world okay modern era is is one in which people are okay with specific institutions mm. and authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they establish new institutions as a way to like solve stuff. Hence, like okay. French Revolution overthrowing like a monarchical government and uh, starting starting new with like a new non king and queen led country. So systems are a good thing in the systems modern are era. Systems a good thing. Yeah, systems okay. and authority are okay. Um, institutions, systems, and authority are okay. Um, postmodern era, institutions, systems, authority, all bad, uh, very bad. Um, and it, it kind of gave way to individualism being the authority. So like Mm -hmm. 
you may know nothing on a given topic. You may have no degree on a given topic. So, like, you have, you are a doctor. Sorry, you're going to hate that I'm saying this. For those of you who don't know, Nate is a doctor. Though. I have a doctorate. He is Dr. Nate. I'm... He goes by that on a name tag? No, I do not. And sometimes I call him that. He always calls me that. Um, not always. Frequently. Hi, Nate. Didn't just call him. <laughs> anyway, um, so, but, uh, like, it, I mean, you, what, what is your doctorate? <laughs> Uh, physical therapy. Okay, physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a doctorate in physical therapy, but this is like me talking about my sternocleidomastoid uh, muscle. Is that a muscle? Mm-hmm. Oh, is it really, though? It is. Oh, good. Okay, so yeah. it's like me talking about my sternocleidomastoid like I know anything. I don't, yeah. even, I don't even know where that was. Nate has to like physically signal to me where that is in my body. Because like, I, don't, I don't... Now, I mean, I know because a long time ago he told me it's like in your neck, but yeah. I didn't know that. My point is, I could talk about the sternocleidomastoid all day like I'm the authority on it, because in a postmodern world, I am the authority on that. And there's a lot of good in that, because it gives it gives uh, voices to individuals who may not have, and so that's why I think you see, culturally, you see more of a, a rise right now in, um, in different voices in our culture that have previously been kind of muffled being able to speak about things, namely uh, women and people of color, um, are actually able to have opinions, whereas, uh, I mean, realistically, let's look at this, like, black women couldn't even vote <laughs> until, oh gosh, it's 60, 70 years ago, 70 years mm-hmm. ago? Not, no, m- more recent than that, it's probably more like 50, um, 50 to 60. Either way, it's like, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous that some of those basic uh, civil rights have been missing in action in our culture, but a postmodern era has has kind of paved the way for those individuals to actually have opinions and and contributions to society, mm-hmm. uh, whereas they haven't. The downside is that I can talk about sternocleidomastoids uh, till the cows come home, and I know nothing, mm-hmm. and and my opinion is equal to Doctor Nate's opinion, which is a little insane. And when we're talking about kind of what I hear, what I'm hearing you saying, when you're talking about these different eras, it's not saying this era, the way that people tended to think is better than another era. It's just the way that people tended to walk through the way that they process information. Is that kind of, and so then as people observe what's going on in the world, okay, there's a modern era where people are <clears throat> more okay with this idea of authority. And that was just the typical way that people walk through life. And then we've transitioned out of that into postmodern era, not meaning that every single person living right now has a postmodern worldview, but that seems to be the tendency. Is that kind of what I'm hearing you say yeah, too? That, yeah, that's right. I think people are probably more predisposed towards that because like cult, it's a cultural thing where mm-hmm. like culture, culture is kind of this, I mean, picture this, it's like a circle of, of influence where mm-hmm. like people don't just shape culture, culture shapes people too. So it's like people, starts with people um, externalizing the inter- internal realities of, of their thought processes. Mm-hmm. And uh, over time, when many people start externalizing their thought processes, it actually shapes other people into, and shapes and forms other people to also externalize, internalize that, and then they re-externalize it. Right. And it's this, this little circle where people, culture shapes people, and then people shape culture, and culture shapes people, and people shape culture. Yeah. And a lot of, I mean, and so much of that is influenced by world events, and like, mentioning the French Revolution, right? Like, um, things like that are, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, people, uh, history shapes people, and people shape history. 
yeah. culture shapes people and people shape culture. So it's it's a circular thing. It's not a it's not a chicken or the egg conversation, right? Yeah. So um, question for you on that. Do you so given that kind of this transition into the postmodern and maybe even post post modern <laughs> post <laughs> the post post. Um, all I can think about is posting up in basketball now. But the postmodern era, mm. um, is there, you know, since that's happened relatively recently, do you think that's played into how different generations of people interact with one another when it comes to conversation on different topics? Oh, without a doubt. Oh, without a doubt, I think. Um, especially if you're looking at a conversation between older yeah, like right. You just said this. Duh, different generations, older people and younger people. Yeah. I think I think they're going to have different um, aims and who they talk to. Recently, there was a there's a guy named John MacArthur who I mean, you heard about this. Right? I think there's like John a guy named John MacArthur who's an older older man who older Bible scholar. I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but the guy is kind of well known for being a a dude when it comes to like researching the Bible. He. Uh, Signed some kind of... He got this massive petition of people. By massive, I mean like 4,400 people to sign okay. this. But in the biblical scholar world, it's a decent number of people to sign this thing that says that um, social justice is not a part of the gospel of Jesus. Yeah. And it says that social justice is um, not a part of... It's 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 actually a, of detriment to the gospel of Jesus, to the message of Jesus. So um, that is... Overall, I think that's super tone deaf. The whole thing was super tone deaf to even talk like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other flip side is that a a younger generation of people who are far more socially active with their faith um, are hearing that, but that's not the audience that he was intending it for. So, like, Mm -hmm. he's speaking. He's speaking in a different um, part of it. Is it's like it's easy to get enraged hearing that. Like I was upset hearing it just in a, in a big picture level. Cause mm-hmm. I think he's just wrong. But, mm-hmm. um, at the same time, there's the idea that he wasn't speaking to me and you mm. or any college students or whatever. Like he was speaking to, to people around his age range. And that's, that's the message he's conveying. Yeah. He comes at it with a certain point of view. <coughs> um, bless you. Thank you. Uh, he comes at it, wasn't a sneeze, I guess. No. Uh, he comes at it from a certain point of view that's shaped by his generation sure. of people. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's not the same at all from us. Like we are shaped by, if you grew up in church, um, like I grew up in an evangelical church and, uh, I, I think I naturally have this bent of wanting to see my faith engage with the culture and society around me because I didn't, uh, I didn't see it happening a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think there's two, yeah, there's, there's definitely generational differences in how people communicate and what they see it for. Cause even older people see Facebook as a totally different tool yeah. <clears throat> than we would see it as, right? It's a totally different world. And I think it's, it's super interesting because for even just, you know, the story with John MacArthur and, um, it, it's hard to even wrap my mind around the idea that he's communicating something that's not uh, abrasive to a lot of people. And so for me to understand that, I would have to lay down a lot of what I'm trying to think about mm-hmm. and trying to step into that world. Because I just, I don't know what it, what it, how old is he? Oh, he's got to be 70 plus. Okay, so I don't, been. I have no idea what it was like to grow up in the 60s and the 70s or the, even the 50s, whatever, you know, whatever it is. I don't, I, I don't have that experience. I don't have that cultural worldview where certain things are being spoken in, living in a world where your media doesn't come from across the country or even across the world in in an instant, but you had to hear it from the newspapers or the 
local radio, whatever. Yep, yep. You know, it's just a totally different world. And so it would take a lot for me to really sit down and understand where he's even coming from. And that's that's part of what we're talking about, right, though? Isn't it like the the notion of it does take a lot, but I think there's... um, It does take a lot to understand that because I think that the reaction by a lot of people was, like, rage Mm. to that. Um, And it's almost this, like, grossly oversimplified... um, view of other people and their viewpoints rather than going back like going back to that culture culture mm-hmm. that, that that circle of how culture shapes people and people shape culture like it is it's complicated and it's not like nobody on a big picture level it's complicated mm-hmm. on even a micro level if you zoom in on an individual like the way an individual sees the world and why they think what they think is so influenced by so many factors that to just simplify a person as uh Simplify a person as like either evil or good based upon a statement they made, mm-hmm. and then refusing to try and like listen to that. I mean, that's that's detrimental to conversation, and there is no conversation. Right. I I, I just don't. I mean, you can look at politics now, and like, where is the conversation in politics? It's just not there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if we're t- if we're talking about the art of having a conversation, and it is, I mean, to me, that first step is not speaking. And this is super countercultural. It's not speaking, it's listening. Yeah. Allowing the other person the dignity to start with, tell me what you think. Tell me what, how you see the world. And when you actually listen, I mean, it's not like, it's not like you're going into this conversation trying to win stuff. Like yeah. when we talk about Christian apologetics, like that's, that's one of the things I see a lot. Um, like people... Like, a, like religious studies departments at universities that aren't like Christian universities. Mm-hmm. It's easy to walk into classes being like, I'm going to win this. Right. I know so much about the Bible. I'm going to rock their world. And they're going to say this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slap it back in their face. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that, that's kind of sometimes in, in people's hearts. Not always. But, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like, I've had that in the back of my heart. In the in, you know, back of my head. Somewhere mm-hmm. in my vital internal organs. I've had mm-hmm. it back there to say, like... I want to go in and dominate this conversation mm-hmm. uh, and and win something. And it's never about winning as much as it is about mutual understanding. Mm-hmm. And uh, mutual understanding carries you so much further in conversations about the gospel and evangelism than yeah. winning does. But even just not, like forget the gospel and evangelism for a second, just talking about difficult topics with somebody mm-hmm. it has to start with listening. Yep. And and having conversations with people that are, are, most of our conversations with, with people in our life typically are probably not going to be about the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though those conversations are vital in our lives with other people who are believers or um, even more so hearing what people have to think and sharing the gospel with people who don't know who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. But most of our conversations are going to be outside of that realm, likely. And the way that we interact in those conversations is really how relationships grow deeper and how you can build rapport with people. So Oh yeah, oh my gosh. And that's and that's such a biblical it's such a biblical principle in the idea that uh, like Philippians two like Philippians two like one to ten, one to eleven would would talk directly about this and the idea I mean I, well indirectly I guess, but the implications of it are there pretty obviously in the sense that like if you apply that that passage to what we're talking about it's the idea that people um you know paul paul says uh do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but uh in humility consider others 
as more important than yourself. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And what is that? Look, that's cute to read, but he says this in the idea that, like, let's carry the metaphor further. Like, he says it in, uh, in light of the reality that Jesus himself, um, though fully God, meaning he has the full status of who God is, he is God, um, has all the rights that are afforded to him as being God, Though he has all that and is all that, he willingly uh, declares other beings as more important than himself and gives up those rights. And um, I mean, the the subtlety of it is: Do you think? Do you think you're God? You're not. Um, so if God Himself can give up give up the rights afforded to Him as God, maybe you should give up your quote inalienable rights mm-hmm. uh, of life, liberty, and you know the right to own property and happiness, like. Okay, that's great. Give up some of those and consider other people as more important than yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a huge passage in the life of a Christian and so many implications. But what we're talking about is start by listening. Don't start by talking. Yeah. Uh, shut up for a second and mm-hmm. listen to what other people have to say. And yep. you might learn something about the world and uh, allow that to shape, allow those people who have, give people voices and allow those narratives to shape how you see the world. Yeah. Right? And, you know, it's funny, I just pulled, like, one of the worst conversational things ever. As you were talking after I asked you a question, I was thinking about what I was going to say next, and I missed, like, part of what you are going to (laughs) say. So that's also a terrible thing to do in conversation. But But it's it's cute. I'll bring up what I was, I was pulling something up to to read later. But that's, uh, anyway, I think uh, just one more thing that I'll kind of add into the the start with listening thing is... um, I know I personally, and I I think this is a tendency in probably most people's hearts, um, is to think that our opinion is valuable and that what we have to think or say uh, is is of value for someone else to hear. Kind of like you said, like the mm. winning the winning concept. Yeah. Um, and so we think that if we can share that with somebody, uh, they will be edified and they will learn something from the things that we have to say. But um, <clears throat> I really think that the the person who's really driving a conversation and really forming an idea is the one asking questions. Mm, Like in conversation, it's not the person saying certain things, but it's the one asking questions. So you can, if you really, if you really have a power struggle in your own self and you really want power, you could probably just ask really good questions Mm, (laughs) and and you could actually have more influence on a conversation than if you were just saying things. Um, and I think at the same time, uh, I fall into this a lot too, where when I work on trying to be a better question asker, I still tend to ask questions like leading questions Mm -hmm. to try to get people to what I'm trying to think about. When really there's this beauty in saying, I'm not, I got this from Steve Berg when he did this open ended questions thing, but him saying, you're not the sage, you're the guide. And so you're not like this all knowing person. So your questions shouldn't be purposely leading someone. You should be a guide. You should be listening actively to what people are saying, asking questions on those thoughts that they're giving and not mm-hmm. trying to form something in them, but letting letting God work through these people and their answers mm-hmm. and what they're thinking and truly listen and try to understand who they really are. And that can be really a valuable thing. Um, so you can have power through asking questions and mm-hmm. uh, people are people are smart enough to know when you're trying to lead them on. And then that conversation won't go anywhere either. So it'll only go where you want them to lead it or they'll just refuse to go. Where oh, you totally. Want them to lead. <laughs> right. People like, aren't stupid. Going. No, exactly. People They're aren't not. stupid. They They're know. Not. 
Wow. I know that that's a really wise observation, Nate, because I think people, um, like the, I mean, social media has like one of the first, so I'm on, I think you want to, do we want to jump into social media? We can a little bit here. I mean, I think, I think you and I are people who were on the front end of social media. Like we weren't immersed in that culture of social media. Like we are now, but I mean, like yeah. growing up, you're saying people our age, like yeah, yeah, because yeah. of, because yeah, of, our so, age. So, I mean, so I'm 29. Yeah. Are you 29 or are you 30? No, I'm 27. Whoa. You're still a fetus. Oh my gosh. <laughs> really? You're 27? Yeah. Yeah. Born in 91. You were born in the 90s? In the 90s. Good lad. Oh my goodness. Speaking of ni- the 90s, Janet's watching a documentary on the 90s. Ooh, that looked so good. Is that on Netflix? Yeah, she says it's enjoyable. It looked really She's good. learning some stuff. I just watched the uh, Lady Gaga documentary on Netflix. Ooh. Rich. It's she so- is. She's good. There's lots of things that I'm thinking right now. Not all beneficial, <laughs> but I'm going to say some anyway. Please. Speaking of Lady Gaga, I want to see uh, making whatever it's called, making a star of a, a mis- star is born. A star is born. <laughs> that's like me calling it making a murderer star. That's call- like me calling it Hey Arthur instead of Hey Arnold this morning. Uh, making, uh, making a murderer star. Making a <laughs> making a. <laughs> Making a so, supernova, no. making but a white dwarf. See, I want to see a star is born. I heard it's pretty brutal it's in good ways. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, and then it also made me think of another kind of movie, or oh my gosh, musical artist type mm. movie. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, or whatever. That was so good, Queen yeah. in there. Ninety-five, ninety-five percent audience approval no, on really? Rotten Tomatoes. So, a star is born left me the musician side of me. It left me wanting to go play music a mm. lot, actually. After I after I left the, well left the theater, mm-hmm. Jamie and I, my wife and I, like we we went on a date, but didn't feel like it was a date because the content of the movie was so heavy. Ooh. But I love, I mean, I love heavy content like that. Like it's invigorating to me to get like deep, heavy, and philosophical. Yeah. And sad even. I walk away feeling energized. Jamie does not. Right. So it was not a super date. <laughs> um, so word to the wise guys: there's terrible places to take. Your girlfriends or wives on dates, unless they are invigorated by that kind of thing, like you are, and you should ask questions, and you should find out. That's how you know is you ask them questions about Boom. themselves, and so. And I, I'm going to add one thing about about this quick question asking and learning about who people are through asking questions, yep. especially in college. Uh, believe it or not, even at 27, and I could talk to my dad, who is. Wow, what is he? Sixty three, going on, uh, going on twenty five, going on twenty five. Okay. But the idea of I know myself and I know who I am, I've I've not mm. arrived. My dad has not arrived. Totally. You never arrive. So so yeah. asking questions to help people process who they are as people, yeah. like even something as silly as you know what kind of movies invigorate you when you leave mm. the theater. You know that can help people form ideas of who they are. So Oh my gosh, that's so true though. That's so true, man. I think We never arrive. Yeah, you're right though. No, that's so social media, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. We we kind of cycled back to topics. That was really good. Um so, you know, the social media thing is really interesting cuz I I remember uh thinking when I was in like maybe 15 or 16, I remember a thought popping in my head about like what would qualify me like as I was looking at a MySpace page or something stupid like that. Like, why, what qualifies me to have people look at this crap? (laughs) It's like, why are people even like, Mm -hmm. like, I understand like celebrities where it's like, oh yeah, the social media thing like connects you to celebrities. But as I'm sitting there as like a, maybe it was 14, I don't remember. Like as a, you know, 
mid angsty teenager and I'm like, what, what does like, what do I have to offer to this scenario besides nothing? Like who would actually, who is listening to me? Logically speaking, like I could write a blog for like, I could write the world's greatest blog and nobody would read it and that's okay. But why do I feel like people have to read it? Right. Um, and the, and so, but part of that though, again, like, so talking about conversations that are hard to have, a, a, con- a conversation about race is really difficult to have. Yep. Um, <coughs> but at the same time, I think people, that conversation gets a little bit easier when you recognize historically that like white majority culture has controlled the narrative. They haven't been the listeners in the conversation. They've been the speakers. Mm. And when anybody else has tried to speak, they kind of, they, they, they suffocate it. Like they take a pillow and put it over the face of that and suffocate it. Yes, the imagery is violent intentionally because that's a terrible, like, that's the reality of, of our history in America is, like, we tend to, the white majority, for example, tends to gloss over uh, slavery as a thing, as like, yeah, that was a really terrible cultural thing, but it's not happening anymore, so yay. Yeah, yeah. No, like, that has residual effects on people, and one of the residual effects is the, the lack of voice and narrative that... Uh, minority culture has in the United States and and having a conversation about race often starts with one a repentant acknowledgement of of our history and how it brought us to where we are but two a willingness to allow again to listen right to mm. allow other narratives into that scenario and shape mm-hmm. and shape who you are and shape your cultural understanding of things to say like oh our culture isn't this like this neat, cute, everybody gets along thing. Like there's actually really difficulties here. Yeah. Um, but any hard topics like that, um, can start with the right, the right questions and giving power and voice to people. Cause really when, I think when you ask kind of, I mean, going back to what you said about that, um, about that idea of asking questions, open ended questions, like it comes from a book called the coaching habit that talks about this idea of, um, like in the, in the business world, it's a business book. But uh, the author talks about this idea of people um, people asking those open-ended questions and allowing the people to drive it based on their own narrative. And um, in, in the race world, we have not at all allowed other people to drive that mm-hmm. narrative. White majority culture drives that narrative. Mm-hmm. That's a big meta-cultural thing, but we change that. We change that meta stuff on little grassroots levels when you as an individual stop and say like, Oh, even this, the narrative I'm telling myself in my head about why people are angry over what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, right? Like, or, um, shooting, shooting in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. um, guy, a black man is shot in his car by a cop who has a narrative in their head about like what, what is going on? What's going to happen? Like mm-hmm. that narrative changes if that's a white man. And there's not really a way around that, <laughs> and, but it starts with with voices and narratives, and what is the dominant narrative in our culture, and we as individuals change those big picture things when we start shifting the everyday little things. Mm-hmm. It's everyday little little victories where we actually do what you said, Nate, and like ask open ended questions mm-hmm. and allow and em- empower somebody else to drive that narrative mm-hmm. for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and learn from it. Oh yeah, learn, yeah. learn things. Yeah, don't don't take their narrative and make it a utilitarian thing. Like, oh, I I got that notch on my belt now. I've listened to you. Now mm-hmm. let me speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to speak to it. Just say, okay, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yep. Like, let them let them drive it and ask ask more open ended questions to their 
their statements. I think that can be huge um, within gospel conversations too, mm-hmm. where where you go into a conversation and you there's someone in front of you who you really care about who may not know Jesus or may not th- may not even think rightly about him, may mm-hmm. have these formed opinions, and just the idea of being able to being able to go in and ask questions and learn what do they think about this yeah. and and then kind of leave it at that until they ask you questions back. Like people will ask you a question if they want to hear about it um, a lot of times. Yeah. And so, you know, being willing to be patient. Yeah. Patience is, I mean, that's, yeah, I get it. When, when you, when you make it about winning, you want to microwave results and yeah. winning in, in, in the evangelism world, we can do that. Um, I think we can, we can either, over, this is going to sound really bad, but over trust God's sovereignty a little bit mm-hmm. in the evangelism conversation. Just be like, I'm going to dump this massive thing on their lap and God will do what he does with it. And that's true. He can do that. I'm not saying don't do that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, I feel like that's culturally tone deaf a little bit to, to say like most people in the culture we live in don't want that. They, w- they don't want to have something massive dumped in their lap. You, you have to earn that right. Mm-hmm. And the only way really to earn that right is a slow, patient question asking mm-hmm. in which you establish a, a good, healthy rapport, right? Which, which I think, I, I think that's very much in line with what you hear of the role of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. like speaking into, like it's the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at particular times, and mm-hmm. um, not one particular time that changes that yes. person's life immediately, right? Right, and that's everybody loves the big, sexy stories about that stuff, where it's like, oh yeah, I, uh, somebody told me about. Um, told me about this, and then I was a missionary in uh, Mexico right. three weeks later. Like, I have a professor from college who, that's her story. Right. Um, but that's a, that's a, that's an absurd, absurdly right. small amount of people. Right. Really, the majority of those people, majority of people, uh, you, you kind of have to earn the right to have those conversations yeah. and, and really speak into those things. And only after you've listened and listened and listened and listened. Yeah. Uh, the real success is you have listened for 10 months to a, a person mm-hmm. speak and share their life. And then for two months, you've spoken into it. Mm-hmm. That's probably the real win. Mm-hmm. And with one person, mm-hmm. not with multiples. And that's like the the idea that like, again, my the thought that somehow my message and my words and all of me is so important to the culture that they have to hear what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And we want like, you know, I, I come from a place of as a, as a worship leader in churches, like, this is not uncommon that like uh, people that I went to college with wanted to be the next Chris Tomlin or whoever, sure, like to lead large conferences of college students in Atlanta, yeah, like, to leave to lead large stuff instead of like leading in small churches where nobody knows their names. Mm-hmm. Like according to Jesus, one is actually more kingdom of God oriented, and that's the small, right. weak, small, weaker, <clears throat> lesser known person, mm-hmm. and the one that's not kingdom of God oriented is actually the bigger name. And so, yeah. And so it's like this interesting, like, it's okay to not be heard. It's so important to just listen. To listen. And I, and I mean, obviously, the for people to hear the word of the gospel is paramount in mm. people's lives. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean you need to bulldoze. Mm. But um, one, I just wanted to share this uh, passage, too, before we wrap up here. I'll let you kind of wrap it up after this. But um, in 2 Timothy... 2, 23, it says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. 
And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, Mm. able to teach, but patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Mm. I just think that the, the tones in that are very soft and, Mm. and not, not worrying about these little things that you may disagree with, but having gentleness, which means meeting people where they're at, you know, coming, coming to whatever level that they are at. That's what gentleness is. And totally, I just quarrels aren't worth it. So so true, man. That's, that's so true. It's like, it's amazing how the word of God speaks into that stuff because it's so easy to read Jesus's tone of voice as like a, a, uh, trump card. I'm going to just beat you into the ground. Uh, hyper-masculine, like shut up. I'm God. (laughs) <laughs> kind of thing. And it's just not that. Like, it's so much more gentle. And, like, you know, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he, he stands kind of looking over the city as he's entering Jerusalem, and he, he says, like, I, Jerusalem, how I long to, like, hold, like, ki- like pull you under my wing as, like, a mother does. Mm. Like, it's this gentle, it's this gentle view of Jesus who looks at people with compassion and even after he like after you know before he feeds the 4,000 before he feeds the 5,000 like the writers of the gospel are very clear to say he had compassion on these people and even if you disagree with somebody which surely Jesus disagreed with lots of people on lots of things mm-hmm. uh, what you don't see is Jesus approaching it in a uh, quote no offense which really just saying or prefacing everything with no offense but mm-hmm. here's an offensive statement as if, like, when, whenever you hear the words, no offense, it really just means, like, get ready because I'm about to offend you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, and he never leads with that. And he, he always leads with such compassion and gentleness. And it's not about the quarrel. Mm-hmm. Um, even in his interaction with, with the Pharisees, which, interesting note, Jesus was actually probably more, out of all the religious leaders of the day, Jesus was, well, the Pharisees were probably closer to aligning with Jesus than any other religious group, like Jewish religious group. Mm-hmm. They were more similar than they were different, actually. Um, which is really weird to think about, because mm-hmm. like, as we read the Bible, we're like, oh, Pharisees, aren't you nemesis? Oh, actually, Jesus and the Pharisees go at it head-to-head like that, because they're almost like the the mother and the daughter that are really similar to one another. Right. And so they butt heads because they're more alike than they are different. Right. That's actually kind of what's happening with the Pharisees and Jesus. They're very, very similar historically in like views of how they interpret um, the Jewish scriptures and, and all that stuff. So it's really interesting to listen to Jesus approach even people we consider to be his arch nemesis as, sure. as a compassionate person who doesn't yell and doesn't uh, throw insults and assume the worst of people. Yeah. Um, it's amazing that you see Jesus listening to what they say and responding. With questions, typically, With too. questions. <laughs> Wait a second. Um, so, anyway, art of, art of conversation is actually lack a lack of conversing, but you just listening and asking really good questions. Open, yeah. Open-ended questions that allow the person to drive, drive the conversation where they're going to drive it. Yeah. And hopefully a person will do the same to you. Mm-hmm. But the whole point is that uh, if you're a Christ follower, you're not being defensive of yourself and demanding yes. a voice for yourself. Being humble enough to, to learn. Yep, yep. Consider others as more important than yourself. So yeah. on that note, we are out of time. Yeah. So um, thank you for joining us today. And check back in next week because we'll have more stuff to talk about. It'll be great. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Grow You podcast. If you have thoughts or questions, we invite you to continue the conversation online at the Grow You Facebook page. Come like the page, leave a comment, and share the podcast with your friends on social media. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And again, thanks for listening. Welcome back to our second episode of what are what are we calling this? Thing? <laughs> I forgot. Grow you. you. Nice. Here, I'll, I'll start again. <laughs> no, we're gonna leave that one in there. That's funny. Um, grow you. Grow you. We're excited to keep talking about stuff. Stuff. What's the stuff we're talking about today, though? 